Welcome to In Conversation with Lyndon Terracini, a podcast where we meet the extraordinary talents, both on stage and off, working at Opera Australia. These conversations were all originally filmed for our streaming service, OATV. You can find more online at tv.opera.org.au, as well as full productions and behind-the-scenes footage. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to OATV. And my very special guest today, Constantine Costi. So, Con, welcome to OATV. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, uh, you were born in Sydney, but Constantine Costi, it's a combination of um, nationalities, I guess. Yeah. Do you want to talk about where your parents came from? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because Costi isn't the real last name. Mm -hmm. So, on my dad's side, who were Greek Cypriots, the original name was Telesforos. Mm -hmm. So he came over to Australia and no one could say Telesforos. And I think he had a mate who was Costi and just took that name <laughs> and up and running you go. And my mum's side are Italian from Calabria and Napoli. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's an interesting combination. Absolutely. But of course, you know, the Greeks and Italians in that part of the world, it's really the same kind of ethnic mix. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a, it's a strong mix. I mean, yeah. I definitely, you know, bleed olive oil. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's all happening. And so your family um, are involved in seafood. That's right. Now, how did that start? Yeah, it's a really interesting story. So as I said, my papu, or my grandfather, mm. on my dad's side, he came over from Cyprus to Australia. And it's the typical immigrant story. You mm. know, he had $8 in his, in his pocket, didn't speak the language, and he worked various odd jobs. He, mm. you know, was a short order cook. He worked at a steelworks and ended up running just like a little fish and chip shop in the Kemba, mm -hmm. and the family lived above the shop, mm. and that became Costi Seafoods. And so uh -huh. his children went on to sort of expand the business. Yeah, yeah. and you've worked in, in uh, the seafood shop. I have, and I'm still on call. I'm always <laughs> looking at my phone, waiting for my dad to tell me that I need to come into the factory. Uh, yeah, so a big part of my upbringing mm. um, has been working, you know, at the filleting bench. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great leveler, you know. Like, I remember Absolutely. coming back from Vienna working there, and the yeah. day after I arrived, my dad called me and was like, you're needed in the market. So I sort of went from opera to seafood yeah. in the blink of an eye. That's terrific. Um, well, how then did you get into theatre? What was the interest in it? Well, I think I was really lucky that my parents really kind of fostered my inherent love of the performing arts. Mm -hmm. And I studied film at university mm. and the films I were directing were really theatrical. Mm. And I think under a teacher sort of guidance, he was like, I think you're better off in the theatre world. Mm. And had no real opera knowledge mm. and just sort of was putting on small shows in warehouses and theatres across Sydney, did a Shakespeare production. Um, and then John Bell encouraged me to go and uh, apply for NIDA, mm -hmm. a directing course there, which I did under his encouragement. Mm -hmm and then discovered opera there. And mm -hmm. so I started interning with Opera Australia and being in the room. Mm. And a lot of people talk about it, but it is that incredible moment for the yeah. very first time when you're there in a rehearsal room and the, the pianist is there and the singer's this close to your face and I was hooked instantly. Yeah. Well, I first uh, came in contact with you when you were directing production of Il Tabarro yeah, in a mechanics right. workshop in yeah. Marrickville, I think it was. Yeah, that was, that was so wild. It was just a bunch of friends. Yeah. And I was running through Newtown one day, because I was living in the area at the yeah. time, and just sort of ran past this warehouse and popped my head in. And it was just a commercial kitchen, actually. Yeah. And so they were doing all kinds of things. And I was like, oh, this would be a really great venue. And just asked the people who were running it, hey, mm. do you mind if I put on a show here? 
And they said, absolutely. And so we had to build the seating banks. The mm. set was a van. We were just beg, borrow and stealing basically and put on this production. And the orchestra machine. was uh, on a, uh, up, upstairs <laughs> yeah. on a sort of veranda, I remember. Yeah, they were up on these kind of, on this rickety balcony. Yeah. Every time the percussionist went to hit the drum, I was worried the whole thing was going to collapse <laughs> and luckily it didn't. Uh, yeah, so it was very kind of uh, rough and ready. Yeah, but it was a great show, obviously. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, cheers. So then you came to uh, work at Opera Australia. That's right. And um, you've, you've worked on a number of productions now. Yeah, I mean, it's been such a terrific sort of process for me working at Opera Australia because I've been able to assist some of the greatest directors in the world mm. to revive some incredible pieces where you, you can sort of put your own artistry into it but also, you know, is serving the original vision of the director yeah. and develop my own little projects in the company as well. So yeah. it's just been a terrific kind of experience. Yeah. And of course, you were to direct Honda Opera on Sydney Harbour, the Traviata. That's right. Uh, for this year, which unfortunately, uh, with COVID-19, yep. uh, didn't happen. It was uh, particularly, well, I guess, upsetting for all of us, all of us but uh, particularly for you and Stacey and the rest of the cast, in that um, we're about to transfer from the rehearsal venue to the stage and then suddenly it all stopped. Yeah. Look, Do you want to talk a little bit about how you felt? Of course. I mean, it's sort of, you know, I think... We weren't the only enterprise to be cancelled. Mm. So you can only feel so sorry for yourself. You know, it's mm. affecting everybody far and wide. Yeah, but nevertheless, particularly for you and Stacey, it was, this was a really big thing, a big yeah. moment for you. First big production. Absolutely. Stacey's first Violetta. And yeah. So it's... I mean, it would have been absolutely terrific to have let an audience have seen it. Yeah. You know? Um, and so it was, it was definitely a blow. And, you know, there's a few days of kind of taking it all in and you put in all of this work. But when mm. I look back... I think the actual experience of putting it on in the room mm. and working with Stacey, who I think is a phenomenal soprano, mm. um, you know, and building something together, the rewards are there, you know? Well, as, as you know, I saw a rehearsal out there at the, in the Hall of Legends yes. at the Olympic Stadium <laughs> and uh, it was really looking wonderful. Thanks it was fantastic. It was yeah. so exciting yeah. to be there and, and to see the work that you'd done and Cheers. what Stacey was doing. Thank you. Um, and, of course, uh, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. No, I mean, you know, touch wood. Exactly. But, um, I mean, that's so, that's so lovely for you to say. And I think, for me, directing... So, you know, it was my first sort of able, like, to be the director of the yeah. Peace Opera Australia. Yeah. And um, it was really about tapping into what was Verdi trying to do mm. when he first wrote this. Mm. And I read a lot of his letters and his writing and looked into the fact that it was a lively, incredible world of the mm. Parisian courtesans that he was trying to convey. Yeah. That was drastic and, you know, champagne was flowing and mm. people were hooking up and mm. sort of finding this one woman's journey within that hurricane was so kind of rewarding to bring this kind of research effectively mm. and mm. interpretation of the original intention to life. So do you want to talk, and you started to, but a little bit about your process. I yeah. mean, in actually, how do you go about... Um, and everyone talks about the truth in, uh -huh. in, in theatre or opera or whatever it is. How do you go about finding the truth yeah. in, in the piece and, 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 in fact, conveying that truth? Yeah, that's a really great question because there is no truth of a piece. We exactly. can't go in a time machine okay. and see what the Mozart productions look like. Mm. So the first thing I do is just listen to the music over and over and over and over and over again mm. because, of course, the words have a story to tell, but these composers, nothing is an accident. Yeah. So every note that they write, all of the orchestration is there for a reason, mm. whether it's an emotional reason or a narrative reason, and trying to get underneath the kind of the skin of that and into the marrow. And then it's sort of this very like 
I find it quite exhilarating. Some mm. may find it kind of nerdy process mm. of just delving into as much research as I can possibly do. Mm. And it was really amazing to find, especially in this example of the Traviata, to see, you know, Verdi originally wanted to call the piece Amore e Morte, mm. love and death. So there's a clue. What was his intention? What is this about? You know, looking into his writing, saying, I'm trying to do something new and drastic and exciting. Okay, mm. well, then this requires a robust and exhilarating kind of, um, you know, approach, you know, directing it. And then in terms of the truth, it's really about then going, that's what I think the composer was after. Then what's my relation to the material? And then also, what's the relationship of the singers? Because mm. at the end of the day, they're the ones who are getting up there. Mm. So it's a really a process of sharing all of that knowledge, but then being kind of open to the possibilities that in a rehearsal room, anything can happen. Mm. And that's when the exciting stuff happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. When someone throws a curveball and you just love it, and mm. you've never even thought of an aria that way, mm. and you just go for it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And that leads me to the next question. You know, you've got your vision of the piece mm -hmm. or the way you think the piece should go. Mm -hmm. And singers often have their idea yep. of how they think the piece should go. Yep. How do you go about marrying or, or coming to an agreement about the interpretation of the character, for example? Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, you always have the touchstone of the text. Yep. So you can go back and if you know the text inside and out, you know, as I hope to do when I enter a rehearsal mm. room, you can always go back and say, this is interesting, let's see what the librettist, the composer were trying to say. Mm. But at the end of the day, I'm not really in the business of forcing a singer mm. to do something they're not uncom they're mm. uncomfortable with. Yeah. Because what's the point? I'm not up there. Directors are basically glorified stage mums. You know, I'm sitting there in the <laughs> audience and kind of mouthing along and doing the blocking with my fingers. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if it means something to them and we can run with it, then you know what? Let's go for it and yeah. see what happens. And often, if it means something to them genuinely, you get a great product. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what about the future? Because um, <clears throat> this business, anything can happen, yep. as has this year. Of course. Uh, but usually artists uh, have in, 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 their, in their heart or in the back of their mind something that they uh, would like to do in the future. And that may be, um, how do they want to be re represented as an artist, mm -hmm. for example? Not necessarily, what shows do I want to do in the future? So, you know, where does Con Costi want to see himself? Or, or what, what would you like to be able to convey in, in your, through, through your work in the future? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's something that I think about a lot. And I think it comes back to the operas that work for me mm. and that I resonate with aren't necessarily, and these can be great, but you know, the great um, sort of spectacle pieces about kings and queens. Mm. And I like operas, Marriage of Figaro yeah. is about the servants. Mm. You know, Rigoletto is about a hunchback. Il mm. Tabaro is about factory workers. Mm. I love this idea of opera being incredibly immediate and for everybody. Mm. And going, just because you aren't a grand duke or a grand count, your experience can be rendered operatic. Mm. And I think that is what really speaks to me. And remembering that opera isn't an elitist pastime. Mm. It's a popular form mm. and it's an exciting form. And I think to really tap into a market, especially as I feel like we're becoming so digitally sanitized, mm. to present stories in an operatic format that are passionate, raw and relatable to me would be a great sort of purpose to devote myself in terms of my perspective on the art form. Mm -hmm. um, you've had a lot of success oh, and frankly you. you deserve it, you know, you're Thanks. very talented. Um, and a lot of what you do, uh, from my perspective, I think is instinctive. Yes. Which is fantastic because then it's immediate and it's exciting in the yeah. theatre. How much of that comes from, you know, your ancestry, what's running through your veins, where does that, where do emotions come from? Yeah. How much of that do you think comes from either the environment that you grew up with or 
what's fundamentally genetic. Listen, you can't ignore the genetics as we spoke about yes. with the Greek Cypriot Italian genes. Yes. I mean, you know, I've had friends come over for family dinner and they're like, oh my God, what's going on when everyone's yelling at each other mm -hmm. in Greek, you know, but yeah. there's just a passionate kind of, you know, sink your teeth into it, yeah. life being an attitude. So I think a lot of it is, you know, there's obviously an inherent way that you can go about the world that I think specific, like, you know, not everybody, mm. but, you know, from my personal experience, there's a kind of relish to life, you know, yeah. and food is there to be shared and music is there to be sing and board games are there to be argued over, you mm. know, and everything can run at this capacity. And I think that's sort of a spirit that I want to bring into my work, yeah. right? That we're not talking about like the mundane or the normal, we're mm. talking about extraordinary passion experiences that mm. we just want to convey and share with an audience. Concosti, thank you very much for joining us today on OATV and all the very best for all the projects that you have in the future and I'm looking forward to every single one of them. Thank you very much. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In Conversation with Lyndon Terracini. We hope you've enjoyed the chat and we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll get each new episode as they're released. We also hope to see you in the theatre in the not too distant future. And you can stay up to date with all we've got going on at opera.org.au.